Today, it's the Mailbag Show on Access Health Radio. Welcome to the Access Health Radio Show. I'm Dr. Brian Forrest. This week, we'll be talking about some of the questions that you have, your our listeners, on Access Health Radio. He is Dr. Brian Forrest, a board-certified family physician with Access Healthcare in Apex, North Carolina. And I'm Mike Davis. Thanks for joining us today, Doc. I know you get a lot of medical questions, and today we're going to dig out a few of those that have come up recently, and let's go ahead and dive right in. Here is our first question. Uh, what is RSV? And I know I can answer partly that it is not an automobile. It, it sounds like a car, but it is not. Uh, this person says, I've been hearing a lot of buzz about it in the news. What is RSV, Doc? Well, RSV stands for Respiratory Syncytial Virus, uh, and it's a seasonal virus that's been around for years, and usually it affects more severely children under five years old. Um, however, as you mentioned, there's uh, been a lot of talk about it lately in the media. Uh, there's been some speculation that RSV is related to childhood asthma as well. And, you know, in the emergency room this time of year, there's lots of kids uh, that end up there, uh, mostly kids under five years old with something called bronchiolitis. Mm -hmm. And bronchiolitis is a little bit different than bronchitis because uh, the bronchioles are a little different sized airway. Um, and a lot of times children will get some wheezing with RSV. Um, but lately it's got a lot of attention, mainly because of the vaccines that have recently become available. Um, and especially with the adult indication, there's a vaccine for adults now that are over, that are over 60. And typically, uh, you know, adults don't usually get that sick from RSV. Mm -hmm. uh, but those who have things like COPD or emphysema, diabetes or asthma, they should consider getting the vaccine to look. Okay. Thanks so much, Dr. Forrest, for that uh, explanation. I knew it had something to do with, uh, with respiration, as you mentioned, but I wasn't sure. So thanks for the clarification. Let's dive right in. Time now for the Access Health Tip of the Week. The tip of the week this week is about ACOs, or accountable care organizations, See if your doctor's decisions are being influenced by an ACO or accountable care organization. A lot of patients don't know that a law passed just a few years ago rewards doctors and other healthcare providers who participate in an ACO arrangement for cutting costs when it comes to patient care. And that literally means that sometimes there's actually pressure on healthcare providers and physicians participating in ACOs to suggest or prescribe a cheaper treatment regimen, knowing that they will get a bonus payment if they recommend the cheaper option. Uh, so if you ever feel like something is being recommended or not based on what might cost your insurance company more, uh, ask your healthcare provider if they're participating in an ACO. You might actually be surprised, uh, but then it gives you the opportunity to advocate for yourself to get the best option for care, even if it's not always the cheapest. So, Dr. Forrest, does that mean if a doctor is participating in one of these that a doctor could actually get a financial bonus for cutting corners on care? Well, Mike, unfortunately, it can sometimes mean that. Um, this is one of the reasons that our practice has always refused to participate in any type of ACO arrangement. Um, but I've known patients who have asked, you know, things like, 
hey, you know, I got a knee replacement, and when I got my last knee replacement, physical therapy was ordered, and I just got this knee replacement and didn't get physical therapy ordered. Why is that? And their surgeon literally said, well, yes, it is because I'm in an ACO, uh, and it would have cost me money, uh, you know, had I sent you for the physical therapy. So I always recommend people asking if whatever healthcare provider they're going to participates in an ACO, and if they do participate, tell them right up front, say, look, I want your decisions to be based on what you would do for your very own family members, not based on what the ACO would want. Absolutely right. Thank you so much. That That's really, really alarming. All right, Doc, let's go to our next question. And I'm starting to see a theme here. Must be this time of the year. <laughs> and it's, yep. what is the best over-the-counter remedy for cough and cold? And sure enough, I mean, it seems like everybody's got something this time of the year. Yeah, that's right. This is a great question, uh, and it's a good follow-up to our show we did a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, first and foremost, uh, the best idea is don't get a combination remedy. Um, you know, if something says it's listed for cold and flu, uh, you don't want that because um, they have multiple ingredients in there, and sometimes those ingredients aren't things you need, or they may be ingredients that will give you side effects. So, um, you know, pick ingredients based on specific symptoms. That, that's going to prevent a lot of the side effects. And it also tends to work better if you're sort of targeting those symptoms. So first, if you're trying to work on a cough that, that's lingering this year, which seems to be almost everyone, uh, the over-the-counter cough medicine that I would recommend is Mucinex DM or any generic equivalent. Um, and the dextromethorphan that's in the, the Mucinex DM is the main ingredient that can help cough um, and it also does have some guafenicin in it. The guafenicin does help with getting rid of mucus. And uh, it does have some evidence to help. It's obviously not as good as prescription cough medication, uh, but it's probably the best thing you can get over the counter. Um, now, if nasal congestion is the problem, you know, by far one of the things that drives me crazy is when I can't breathe through my nose, especially at nighttime, uh, the, the most effective treatment by far uh, is called Afrin. Uh, Afrin also goes by the generic name oxymetazoline, and it's a nasal spray. Mm -hmm. And literally one spray of that can relieve congestion in your nose within about 10 minutes and can keep it that way for 8 to 12 hours. But there's a downside. As good as Afrin and the generic Afrin works, it should only be used no more than once to twice per day and not for more than three days. And the reason is, your nose sort of gets used to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, what it makes it is so you're always congested if you don't use a spray. Oh, so, wow. uh, you know, if I personally get uh, some nasal congestion, I'll use it. But I try to only use it once a day. I pick sort of the, the 8 to 12 hours. I want to be the clearest. Um, and I'll only use it for three days. And as long as you do that, it's uh, usually very effective. Um, the second choice for congestion would be something with an extended release pseudoephedrine. Pseudoephedrine can slightly sometimes raise blood pressure and heart rate. And so I like the extended release because that sort of spreads it out over a longer period. And the best way to get the extended release over the counter is to just ask the pharmacist for Claritin D 12 hour or 24 hour. Uh, you will have to ask the pharmacist for it, even though it's not a prescription, they keep it behind the counter. Um, and, uh, you know, that's really probably the second best thing. And it, as a pill, it's the best thing for congestion. Uh, if you've got a fever or body aches, 
then either a generic acetaminophen or ibuprofen can be used. Um, and it helps a ton with body aches, especially with flu. And you can also, you don't have to worry about using these together. So ibuprofen and Tylenol can mix. Um, and typically what I tell people to do is sort of alternate them. Take one and about the time you feel like that one's going to start wearing off, do the other one. Um, and if you do that sort of around the clock, you can get almost 24-hour relief from the body aches and the fever. Um, and one of the things I would specifically avoid in the cold and cough uh, remedies are the first-generation antihistamines. That would be things like diphenhydramine, uh, which is generic for Benadryl. Um, and that's in a lot of the ones that say they help you with sleep. So things like NyQuil, mm -hmm. uh, and those can have really serious side effects and also make it harder to sort of clear your mucus. But uh, you you do recommend the Mucinex DM. I think that was the first one you mentioned. Do you like that? Yeah, if you're just trying to get rid of a cough and maybe loosen up some mucus, the Mucinex DM plain, uh, you know, again, don't get multi-symptom. Okay. Uh, it's, it's fine. And I, I, it may go generic soon, that version. And if you can find a generic of Mucinex DM, which will usually say something like compare to, then that's fine as right, well. Right, right. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Uh, this is the Mailbag Show today. We're taking your questions here on Access Health Radio with Dr. Brian Forrest. Uh, now, our next question going to shift gears a little bit. This listener asks, can I catch shingles from someone else that has it? In other words, is it contagious? Mike, shingles is a really complicated disease. So this is going to sound really strange. But, okay. uh, you know, shingles comes from the chicken pox virus that you catch as a child i've heard that yeah and uh so what happens is when you get chicken pox that virus never actually leaves your body mm -hmm. it goes dormant and it actually lives in your spinal cord nerve roots for the rest of your life uh and so when you're stressed out or if you have a weakened immune system uh what happens is it'll it allows the virus to come back out uh, and it always comes out in that nerve distribution. So whatever nerve root it's living in, the good news is it's confined to that nerve. But that's why it always comes out on one side or the other. Um, and it always will break out along that same uh, nerve pathway. So technically, you don't catch shingles from somebody else. You catch shingles from yourself. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's the chicken pox that's living within you. However, when you get shingles and you have the blisters on your skin, you have to be careful around people with weakened immune systems because you could actually give them chicken pox. Uh, and that's mm. especially dangerous around pregnant women. So, oh. you know, if you are older than 50 and you've had chicken pox in your life, uh, you really should get the Shingrix vaccine and that can help prevent an outbreak. Very good. And I've had mine. Thank you for telling me about that. All right, straight ahead, we'll continue with our mailbag show. Dr. Forrest answering some more of your questions before the Access Health Trivia of the Week, and that's on the way. Access Health Radio with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest from Apex. We are here every Sunday afternoon on WPTF. I'm Mike Davis. Thanks for joining us. I want to take just a moment to acknowledge those who support Access Health Radio. We'd like to thank We Care Pharmacy of Apex for supporting our show. They provide great local customer service, price matching for patients that have to pay out of pocket, and even local delivery. I even get some of my own prescriptions at WeCare. You can find them at WeCarePharmacyApex.com or give them a call at 919-629-6010. 
All right. Thanks, Dr. Forrest. Uh, I am going to jump right in. I, I think this is a fascinating topic today, our Access Health Trivia of the Week. Well, the trivia this week is uh, about the cost of health care. Uh, I stumbled across this and was just really shocked. So with the cost of health care, if you don't look at the cost for medications, hospitals, doctors, or any of the health care provided, and you just look at the administrative cost of health care, that's things like those insurance codes, claims, billing, the things that have nothing to do with actual care, right. actually make up, listen to this, Mike, over 8% of our entire gross domestic product. Wow. That amounts to nearly $4 trillion, which is about half of the total cost of health care in the United States is being spent on the administrative cost. So I think we can really do better than that and spend more on actual care rather than all the bureaucracy of that. Amen. And I know you're doing something about that. We, we can talk about that on a, a, another show. More of your health care questions with Dr. Brian Forrest next on Access Health Radio. Let's talk about our next question now here in on Access Health Radio. It is our mailbag show today. Dr. Forrest taking your questions. And the next question is about atrial fibrillation. What is it and how do you get it? Well, this is a good one. I think uh, with lots of people having smartwatches these days that analyze your heart rhythm, people are wondering about what it means when it says on your watch, no signs of atrial fibrillation detected. And AFib or atrial fibrillation is an abnormal heart rhythm where the top part of your heart called the atrium beats at a high rate, but it doesn't necessarily conduct the electricity to the whole heart on each beat. And what that results in is possibly forming clots. And then those clots, when you have a good beat, can actually be pushed out. And the clot can be squeezed out and cause something like a stroke. That's why many people with atrial fibrillation take blood thinners like Eliquis or Pradaxa or Xarelto or Coumadin. Um, and, and, you know, while there can be several causes for atrial fibrillation, uh, we think that stretching of that part of the muscle uh, and stretching that electrical conduction system over time is one of the main culprits. So, you know, conditions that are left untreated like sleep apnea can cause that. Uh, you know, you want to control your blood pressure, obviously. Uh, but if you snore, if you think you might have sleep apnea, uh, if you're sleepy during the daytime, it makes a lot of sense to get a sleep study and make sure you don't have sleep apnea because that's one of the main ways you can prevent getting atrial fibrillation. And uh, although that's a treatable condition, you know, people would rather not be on blood thinners and, and have to take those forever if they didn't have to. Absolutely. Dr. Forrest, I think we have time to squeeze in one more question. I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with this one because it's important. Uh, this question is about how to prevent cancer. Is there anything folks can do about it? Okay, Mike. Well, that's a, that's a great question, uh, but obviously it's got a fairly long answer. Uh, <laughs> I figured. <laughs> you know, uh, first thing I would say is, you know, there's nothing anyone can do to absolutely guarantee they won't get cancer. Uh, genetics play a big role, and we can't do anything about that. Uh, however, I would say there are sort of two categories of things you can do. Uh, the first uh, category is to avoid exposure to certain things that we know increase your risk of cancer. Things like viruses like HPV, excess radiation, 
environmental exposures like radon gas, which can you know be in your basement, uh, ultraviolet light, uh, known carcinogens. Carcinogens just are sort of cancer-causing substances. Things like smoke, aflatoxin, nitrosamines, asbestos. Um, those things, when you know they're around, you know they're contaminants in soil or water or your house or whatever, you really want to try to avoid those and minimize it. We, you know, we all get exposed to some of those in the environment, mm-hmm. but every chance you get to avoid those things that can sort of, uh, you know, cause cancer. And, and most of those cause that by actually causing DNA damage. Uh, you want to take advantage of that. The, the second category of things to do is to actively you know, pursue things that we know can reduce your risk. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with things we eat. We know that certain foods, particularly the, the cruciferous vegetables like mm-hmm. broccoli, uh, can greatly reduce risk. In fact, there's one study that says uh, broccoli by itself every day can reduce risk of cancer by over 80%. Wow. Um, so, you know, and then last thing I would say is screening uh, is a thing that you can do to detect cancer early. So that there's time to do something about it. So mammograms, colonoscopies, PSA tests, CT scans for smokers. Uh, those are just a few of the common good ways to catch things early, you know, before they become deadly. And, uh, you know, if you do have first degree relatives with cancer, you know, I've had people tell me before that, you know, their, their mother, their sister, their aunt, everybody in their family has breast cancer. If you've got a lot of first degree relatives with cancer, you can also do genetic testing and then that can tell you if you do have the genetic mutation that makes those cancers a lot more likely. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, aren't there some tests that you actually can conduct in your office, Dr. Forrest, that would help detect those? Yes, Mike. We we don't we draw the blood in our office. We actually send it out to a company called Ambry Genetics. Okay. Uh, but the cool thing about that is their panel looks for every single one of the gene mutations that, you know, people are sort of familiar with the breast cancer genes like BRCA1 and BRCA2, right? Uh, but they look for all of those mutations and then give people a report uh, about which ones they have. And one of the coolest things about when they run it is that if you do test positive, they will test all of your family members for free wow. for that mutation right. if you test positive. So that's kind of a nice benefit. If, if folks want more information on how to get those tests or maybe they have uh, want some other information uh, about you and your practice, how can they get that? Uh, if they want to find out about our medical practice, they can go to acchealth.com or give us a call at 919-363-0190. They can send an email if they have questions to accesshealthradio at gmail.com. And they can always listen to our podcast on uh, Apple Podcast or check it out at wptf.com. Very good. Dr. Farsit. it has been a quick show. That's all the time we have for this week. Our scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Thanks for listening to the Access Health Show, and we look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health.